Welcome to Eastern Carolina Farmers. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. Today's show is very interesting to me. It's on cow digestion. Sound riveting? If passing gas on an industrial level sounds slightly sophomoric, I assure you it's not. And today's guest, NC State Assistant Professor Dr. Deidre Harmon, will give you more reasons to think so than cows have stomachs. Plus, in a mere few seconds, Jeff Turner, COO of Murphy Family Ventures, will join our conversation. Eastern Carolina Farming is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Good day, Jeff Turner. Good morning, Dan. How in the world are you? I'm fabulous. We had quite a weekend. We had rain late last week, but uh, weather nice over the weekend. My youngest son was married on Saturday. Hey! So we had a, we had a large weekend. Well, congratulations, father of the groom. Uh, the weather all good? Turned out really well. As you look around, the water that we've had, the rains that have come have been so slow and gentle that I think every drop counted. It stayed in the field. The latter part of this week, we're going to see temperatures possibly up to the uh, up to the lower 80s. Makes you think it's not far off. Well, actually, we're planting some things with the, in greenhouses. We're getting things started, things like cabbage and kale and uh, even starting tomatoes. But it won't be very long before we're putting other crops in the ground. Yep, the sap should soon start rising here. And I see daffodils blooming and tulip trees blooming. And my wife saw a robin. And she mentioned it to me. And as I've said before, one robin doesn't make a spring. We'll see. (laughs) The National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, henceforth, I will say NASDA, which is basically state commissioners, secretaries, directors of agriculture in in, in the various states, hand selected seven issues they see as their primary focus for 2023. The 2023 Farm Bill, environmental regulation, including WOTUS food production and supply chain, food safety, animal health, international trade, and the one that seems to come up often on this program, and that is workforce development. Those are the issues that they see are the big issues facing farmers in 2023. I think they got them all. Yeah, I think they did, too. We have a lot of conversation around here. I I wish, you know, back in the day in high school, you had shop. They taught you carpentry or they taught you auto mechanics, automobile mechanics or welding. There's all sorts of things that used to be taught in high school kids aren't coming out with any of those talents anymore so now we've got to change it all up and make a whole new program to start teaching folks how to do those things you know immigration hasn't made the headlines as of late with regard to the h2a H2A. program yeah i don't hear a lot about it either I, i don't think it's off the table by any stretch but because the need is certainly there it and and will be there for farming operations if they lift the cap which is what everybody would like to have happen, or allow us to to utilize some of the so-called invasion that's coming from the southern border in such a way that we can utilize those folks in, in, in farming. You know, a lot of headlines have sparked up in my regular news feed. Now, granted, my news aggregator knows what I look at, but I think the world or the United States citizens are beginning to understand that bird flu or H-P-A-I, highly pathogenic avian influenza, is becoming a thing. And I think that's because they've gone to the grocery store and they say, eggs over $4 a dozen, holy cow. Center for Disease Control says the bird flu infestation because of the virus, which we call it H-P-I-A, but it's H5N1, named for the proteins that are involved, that this outbreak is now worse than the outbreak back in, what, like 2014, 2015? Yep. Normally, 
in warmer weather it goes away and then but and it didn't last year it's it's just kind of been a continual problem and a chronic problem rather than an acute situation where you have it you you get it behind you and you move on it's lasted through from last spring actually to to now north carolina is a oceanfront property and uh, a migratory bird pass through state we've been unbelievably lucky given hpia has affected all of the 50 states obviously they are carriers there's no doubt about it but i again as we've said before the the buzzard they're carrying it as well so it may affect your egg prices it may affect chicken prices but it is not uh, something that is readily transmissible to humans only one case in the last uh like 18 months that has occurred but back in october of 2022 northern spain a mink farm was infected and they say one of the reasons for that is actually mink carry a receptor that picks up this H5N1, uh, which humans don't carry. There's always that possibility of having some oh, it's sort gonna of mutate. It's going to mutate. Yeah. We're learning. Every time we have this, we have uh, African swine fever, we, we, we learn a bit. Is our agricultural scale of operations has gotten much bigger. Do you see where we're likely to see smaller and more barns is part of a bigger operation so that things are more contained biosecurity wise or is that just not economically feasible i don't think it's economically feasible especially if you go back and you undo what we have today the construction prices and that sort of thing doesn't allow for it a lot of these things are airborne and unless you have a totally enclosed operation where you're filtering the air and and by the way there are some pig farms that are now filtering the air I'm not sure how successful they're going to be. It's quite a huge expense to go in and construct a building that's what we call a filtered building. I'm afraid that the, the cost benefit to that is just out of line, continues to be out of line. But we'll see. I, I can't see us going to smaller operations. By the way, I think it was the New York Times last week ran a, a story. And I think it was a 23-story pig barn, pharaoh to finish. To me, that's a train wreck waiting to happen. You put all those animals and it's continual flow. I mean, you, you breed the animals. They obviously have offspring and they stay, they stay in that building until they're harvested. And there's no way that you can break the disease. If a disease that, that gets into the herd that you'd have to go in and depopulate. I think that's a train wreck on in the making. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong, but my common sense tells me I'm right. I'm reminded too, as we look at California, a water coastal state, as their uh, public relations seems to be for uh, play areas for their animals, that just makes an animal more susceptible, does it not? I think it does. But again, leave it to California. 500 people a day are moving out of there. I mean, the crazies have taken over. <laughs> hey, coming up on the program today, we're going to go from uh, looking inside the, the poultry industry and the hog industry to looking inside the cattle industry, quite literally. Our guest on the program is Dr. Deidre Harmon, who specializes in cow or cattle digestion. It's going to be a good interview. And we'll do it in just a moment. But a reminder, this program is sponsored in part by the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Got to Be NC, North Carolina's official business development and marketing program for agriculture. More than agriculture, it's Got to Be NC. This is Eastern Carolina Farming. This is Eastern Carolina Farming on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Dan Miller, myself, along with Jeff Turner, were joined by Dr. Deidre Harmon, Assistant Professor at NC State in the Department of Animal Science and Extension Livestock Specialist. Out in the Maggie Valley area, Dr. Harmon splits her appointment between the Extension and Research 
Her research particularly has to do with livestock digestive systems. I noticed in dialing, Dr. Harmon, that your 276 area code, which is not the western part of North Carolina, is that southern Virginia? That is. That's a southwest Virginia phone number from uh, Galax, Virginia, a little city nestled there right about eight miles from the North Carolina border. I spent a decade in Charlottesville, and I was worried. Okay. I was worried. And you know what? I haven't read your bio. Bad me. Did, <laughs> did you do work at that at that place that folks in Charlottesville would say the other university in the state? Who are you calling the other university? Because that's what we think y'all are. <laughs> I did, actually. Um, so I've, I've danced all around Charlottesville, actually. Um, I did my bachelor's degree at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia, oh, yeah. uh, before going to um, do my master's at Virginia Tech. So I, I had to skip through Charlottesville quite a bit to get from, from Galax, Virginia to, to VCU. So, um, no, but I had a good time. And, and when I was at VCU, I, I majored in biology and minored in chemistry. And, and I was actually there. Um, my senior year at VCU was when VCU made the, the final run to the final four. Yeah. Um, and so I got to actually go to the final four. I don't know if you're a big basketball fan, but, but I am. So I actually got tickets to the final four in Texas. I got to sit front row at the final four, got to go to the championship game, even though VCU didn't get to play. And it was probably one of the, you know, biggest moments of my life that, that I got to experience that. Let me say, it's also the biggest moment of Shaka Smart's life, too. That's right. <laughs> and he promised he wouldn't leave us. And then he left. Hey, money talks. <laughs> I know. I know. But so, yeah. So shortly after that, he went to Texas. Well, we called you up today to talk specifically about cattle digestion because you've done a great deal of work okay. in that. Let's give us a little bit of basis so I, I grew up on a, a cow-calf operation in Galax, Virginia. Um, my, my parents had a farm, and, and we had Charlay cattle, um, both commercial cattle and purebred cattle. And so I would always go with my dad. And, and my big interest when I was little was petting cows. You know, as, as every little girl is, they want to pet a cow. So we found out that the easiest way to get some gentle, tame cows is, is to get some cold bread and, and donuts from our local bread store. And so they would get used to us shaking the bag of bread, and they'd come running. And that's how I got a lot of, of pet females growing up that way. Um, so I started feeding, feeding byproduct feeds before I even knew what byproduct feeds were. And so I, I knew I always wanted to have some type of career with beef cattle. Long story short, I started a, a master's degree in animal science with a beef cattle nutritionist. Um, I did my Ph.D. at the University of Georgia, um, actually switching gears again, looking at uh, crop and soil science. I knew in the southeast that I couldn't really have beef cattle without also having forages, too. So I kind of have a little bit of a, a hybrid background, if you will, looking at both uh, forage agronomy and beef cattle nutrition. Give us the 30-second uh, speech on how cows' stomachs work. Yep. So beef cattle, I like to call are the ultimate upcyclers of the world. They're ruminant animals. They have a different stomach than, than what you and I have or, or what a pig has or what a chicken has. Uh, they have something called a rumen. It's a four-compartment stomach. And so that rumen has all these tiny little microbes, millions of microbes in it. And so those microbes actually digest the feed that they're eating. And so they can digest a lot of different feedstuffs that us as humans or pigs can't digest. And so those microbes actually produce different feedstuffs for the animals that then they absorb um, and can utilize for, for energy and protein. So they actually change what the animal is consumes and turn it into a product that cow can can actually utilize later on and so it's really interesting it's basically like a, a 55 gallon drum digestion map part of your research you actually have a few cattle 
that have that you've been able to put portals in so you could watch the digestion process? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. So why would we want to be able to see into the the cow stomachs? And so all this means is we've actually just put a portal straight into that rumen where we can we can look at that digestion vat. Uh, we have a, a lot of animals that have have this this rumen cannula. And the reason that we have that is, one, we can study how their stomach works and their digestion works. But, two, it's really awesome that we can take rumen contents or rumen fluids straight from that, that good, healthy animal, put it in a sick animal, and get their stomach back up and working again. As part of this different digestion process, ruminant process, byproduct is methane. Okay, yep. Your research has not been in that angle, but I imagine you read a great deal about possible ways to curtail the amount of methane produced by cat, by those with this sort of digestion. So we know that by feeding beef cattle different types of feedstuffs, we can actually change to an extent the amount of methane that they're producing. Um, the USDA numbers for methane production, um, they think that agriculture as a whole counts for about 10% of all methane production um, throughout the world. Big other big players being transportation at like 28% and, you know, industry at also like 28%. So really agriculture is such a small part of that. And if we really start thinking about the actual cow, it's really a slither of that 10%. You know, people really get stuck on that beef cattle are producing methane, which is really hurting the environment. But we've really got to think about the big picture of industry and transportation. And I like to ask people when they start asking me about methane production and, you know, that cows are what's hurting our environment. I ask them, you know, when is the last time that you just started your car and just went for a Sunday drive? Did you, did you increase the methane production in this world? Probably so. So we need to think about that as well. And, and you are preaching to the choir. Hang on for just a moment. We're talking with Dr. Deidre Harmon. Jeff and I'll be right back on Eastern Carolina farming. This is Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by Dr. Deidre Harmon. She's assistant professor at NC State University. Her research is in the digestive system of beef cattle. It, it's really amazing uh, the, the different things that people are trying and to eliminate the flatulence and all these ruminants. I shared with Dan an article that I ran across that, that kangaroo dung can be processed in such a way and fed to a cow that eliminates methane. Have you heard that? It's a microbe within the dung of a kangaroo. No, I have not heard that. Wow, we're cutting edge here in the program. (laughs) Well, we read a lot of stuff. Glad you said stuff. I think people have gone totally over the top or overboard, whatever you want to call it, with regard to methane coming from a cow, and and I get it. But everything we do contributes to the so-called methane issues why can't we feed cows gas X and solve the whole problem? My assumption is anything you put in, any supplement that, that we're trying to uh, mitigate some of the methane, this is such a delicate digestion process in ruminant animals. You know, those bugs in that ruminant can, can change and alter almost any product that we put in there. So it's something that's got to be sensitive to that process, if that makes sense. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing about beef cattle nutrition and research is that we're always trying to reduce methane, right? Like we're always trying to make um, beef a more healthy product and more produce it in a more sustainable way. And so we continue to go down that path of, of trying to do so. If just about any 
industry that you think of um, when it comes to food or production of some type of grain that we use more than likely has some type of byproduct that goes along with it that cattle can consume. Cotton gin byproduct. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, we're doing quite a bit of research right now on, on some of the, the different cotton byproducts. Um, whole cotton seed, we have cotton gin byproduct or cotton gin trash, if you will. Um, we can graze, you know, cotton stubbles, holes. Uh, we've got a lot of different cotton byproducts that, that we can utilize. Harvesting soybean stubble, uh, we can harvest corn stalks and, and maybe grain sorghum stalks or wheat straw that's, that's often used out in the Midwest. We're really lucky here in North Carolina that we have a lot of forage resources that we can rely on. Uh, we have uh, cool season annuals, cool season perennials, as well as warm season annuals and warm season perennials like Bermuda grass and sorghum Sudan grass that we can utilize in to, to feed beef cattle and dairy cattle with. And then, you know, we've got a lot of different byproduct feeds. We've got peanut holes, peanut skins from the peanut industry in North Carolina. We've already mentioned the cotton industry. Um, we've got quite a bit of coal vegetables, especially here in the mountains. We've got a lot of coal vegetables that we use. Uh, we've got a, a booming apple industry here in the mountains that we get quite a bit of apple byproducts from. So pairing our forage base with with the, the byproducts that we have in North Carolina, and I encourage all the folks that are listening to to work with their local extension agent to to figure out what what works for them. Is there anything that we haven't asked you that uh, you'd like to get across? Yeah, you haven't asked me what my favorite byproduct is. Wow. I've been waiting for that question. Very excited to tell you what my well, favorite Well, I'll ask the is. question. What <laughs> is your favorite byproduct feed? I am so glad that y'all asked me this question. <laughs> so a few years ago, I went to Pennsylvania on a beef tour, and anywhere I go on a beef tour, I try to bring home just a bag of byproduct feeds that the local beef cattle producers are feeding. We were on a beef tour in Pennsylvania, and we visited a potato chip factory, and they had a feedlot for beef cattle, a beef cattle feedlot attached next to the, the potato chip factory. And they were actually feeding cold potatoes and cold potato chips to their beef cattle. And that's what they were using as, as their byproduct feed to supplement the beef cattle. Well, now you've knocked on a door that I just have to open. It's given the fact that you are in North Carolina, the number one producer of sweet potatoes in the United States. Have you tried sweet yes. potatoes? So, yes, so we have a whole lot of sweet potatoes in, obviously, North Carolina, eastern North Carolina. Um, and there are people that, that use sweet potatoes as a, a byproduct feed for, for their beef cattle. Um, there are some issues that we can see by feeding sweet potato cannery waste to beef cattle. But whole sweet potatoes can be fed. Um, we recommend maybe mixing them in a diet so that there's enough protein in the diet. But, yes, that is also a, a, a supplement that's used in eastern North Carolina. Dr. Deidre Harmon, our guest today on Eastern Carolina Farming. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time, Deidre. This is Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Hi, I'm Dan Miller. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna today at 252-792-1189. That's 252-792-1189. Let Donna protect your yield so you can stay in the field. April live cattle futures rose 70 cents on the week to close at 164.65. For the week, March feeders gained 12.5 cents to close at 186.52.5. The push to a new contract high for April futures on Friday sets the table for a follow-through of technical buying when trading resumes coming up Tuesday. Hog futures couldn't sustain early gains on Friday, with nearby April ending the day having fallen 50 cents to 85.27.5. Closing price marked a weekly rise of $1.95. 
Here in North Carolina, egg prices were steady on small, higher on the balance when compared to the prior week. North Carolina weighted average for small lots delivered, cartoned. Grade A eggs were 276.09 for extra large, 261.64 for large, 243.80 for medium, 185 for small eggs. Number two, yellow shelled corn was mixed, four cents lower to seven cents higher when compared to the prior week. Prices range mostly 736 to 775 at the feed mills, 726 to 770 at the elevators through Thursday, February the 16th. Number one, yellow soybeans were mixed one cent lower to 15 cents higher, range 1554 to 1601 at the processors, mostly 1520 to 1553 at the elevators. Number two, red winter wheat was 15.5 to 27.5 cents higher, range 690 to 772 at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants range 551.10 to 5.64 per ton for 46.5 to 48% protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery corn range 604 to 703 and a quarter. Soybeans were 1355 to 1395 and wheat range 656 to 759. 2022 season sweet potatoes, 40-pound cartons, number one types, mostly 16. U.S. number one petites, 10 to 13. And U.S. number twos, 9 to 11. No grade mark jumbos, 9 to 11 as well. And that's this week's Eastern Carolina Farming. If you miss a show, play the podcast on demand at ecfarming.com. There you'll also find links to our sponsors. Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be MC. Eastern Carolina Farming is a production of Interbanks Media. Support the show. Tell your supplier to call Hank Hinton at 252-355-1037. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, have yourself a great week.